Hello and welcome to Servant's Heart Chapel. I am Pastor Daryl, and I hope today's episode is a special blessing to you. Paul, as he's going through Romans, uh, as he's writing this letter, he's making a case like a lawyer. Right now, he's really kind of like a prosecutor, proving our guilt. Before you can tell somebody about that you have a means to meet a need, they have to know they have a need. A lot of people don't realize or, or will try to argue away their guilt. And Paul in chapter 1 talked about the guilt of the outright pagans, those who are worshiping other gods and participating in egregious sins. And, and we get that. Then he turns his attention to the so-called good guys, the moralists, the people that you know that uh, follow all the rules and never get in trouble and, 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 and live clean lives. He's going to be talking about them now because they're not innocent either. So he's making this case, and, and he will continue to do so into about halfway into chapter 3. He's making this case that we're all guilty before God. In this section 2, we read, we'll be going over verses 1 through 16. In this section 2, we talk about God's righteous judgment and his fairness, because God is both righteous and he is fair. He's completely fair. We're going to see that today. Begin with verse 1. We see, therefore, any of you who judges is without excuse, for when you judge another, you condemn yourself, since you, the judge, do the same things. We sometimes have a tendency to be critical to everyone but ourselves. We have no patience. We uh, we're, we're, it's easy to to um, condemn others. The verse one here that I that literally means therefore, oh man, everyone, and so on and so forth. It, this this. Talking about one particular type of person, this moralist who, who condemns others, but he or she himself, themselves are, are doing the exact same thing. I've seen people who, uh, who would complain and condemn somebody for having a bad attitude, and then I watch them have a bad attitude. I have heard, I have watched someone condemn somebody else for gossip while they were gossiping about that person. That was the gossip. We're blind to it. It's so easy for us to be blind to our own faults and weaknesses, our own sins. 
And so Paul said, you know, you condemn yourself and you do the same things. Verse 2, we know that God's judgment on those who do such things is based on the truth. God's judgment. When we judge things, we have to be very careful about our judgment because we can be skewed. We don't know the whole story. We don't see it inside people's hearts like God does. So our judgment isn't always based on truth, but God's is always based on truth. He knows everything you've thought, everything you've done, every secret action, every secret intent. He knows all about it. He remembers anything we've forgotten about. He still remembers. That's why his is based on truth. So many people in school and Christians Right, live as if God doesn't exist. I can just do what I want and, and God doesn't really care. But Paul says God does care. Verse 3, do you really think any one of you who judges those who do such things yet do the same that you'll escape God's judgment? Verse 4, or, you, or, you or do you despise the riches of his kindness, restraint, and patience? A lot of people despise that. Despise to look down upon, to not take seriously. To be flippant about, to despise. A lot of people despise God's patience with them. And holding back his wrath. If you've never read Jonathan Edwards, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, it's a, it's a fascinating read. And one quote that I liked from it, he, he wrote, There is nothing that keeps wicked man at any moment out of hell but the mere pleasure of God. We feel so secure. Um, Someone asked me about about the you know I was look, considering uh, donating part of my liver to my mom. Asked about the safety factor, the risk factor of it, and I told them safety is a mirage. Anything that happens or doesn't happen is, is, is always ordained by God. God is sovereign. He's in control. And people who, who live wicked lives feel like, you know, pretend that you know, God doesn't care. He's not going to keep an account. He hasn't struck them down yet. And they continue with it. They despise his patience, his kindness, his restraint, the Bible says. Why? It continues on. Not recognizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance. God has a purpose. It's intended to lead them to a life change, 
I, I'm, I'm going to repent of my sin. I'm going to stop doing it and turn to God. I'm going to start using my body as an instrument of unrighteousness and use it for the Lord. And verse 5 begins with the but. The contrasting statement, which is contrasting to the repentance that uh, he's talking about. But because of your hardness and unrepentant heart, so people who are hard against the Lord, Unrepentant. What's what's happening to them? You are storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment is revealed. That's a pretty hard statement. The storing up wrath. We weren't, we're going to get to that, but at some point, God is going to say, time's up. As long as we're breathing, we have an opportunity to surrender to Him, to do what's right. You know, I, I record my sermons for a podcast and I have anywhere from a half dozen to a dozen or more people any given week that listen to it. Not very many, not the hundreds of thousands of other podcasts, but there's a group. I have no idea who they are. I have no idea where they live. But there might be somebody listening now That has been playing games with God and wanting to just live their life their own way, saying, Someday I'll get right with God. Someday I'll, I'll make some changes in my life. The trick of the devil get us to delay. The Bible says, Today is the day of salvation. Just Repent now, because that's what God wants you to do. God's patience is intended that we repent. Because I don't know about you, but I don't want to be the focus of God's righteous judgment. I have no excuse. There's, there's no law that I can hide behind. There's no reason I can make excuses at all. All I do is plead the blood of Christ. I rely on Jesus Christ. And I obey obey Him. Verse 6. He will repay each one according to his works. Wow. And then in verse 7, it goes into an explanation of that, further detail. Eternal life to those who by persistence in doing good seek glory, honor, and immortality. So uh, reward, repaying, giving eternal life to those who seek 
who are doing good and in, in seeing in seeing glory, honor, and immortality. Try to do what's right by the Lord. Try to please Him. The word persistence is interesting. It comes from the Greek word hupo, which alludes to being under a load, carrying a heavy load. I've had to carry heavy loads when I was a young man, working different jobs, working as a, a bricklayer laborer. That job wore me out. Carrying brick and mortar, brick and mortar all day long. Um, never moving fast enough for the bricklayers. Underneath this load. I remember my first day, and by the way, I worked from one of my brothers-in-law. So he, he, uh, he made sure uh, that I worked. But the first day, he, we had this wheelbarrow full of mortar, wet mortar, and about 300 pounds. And it needed to go to the back of the house. And, and, and the only way, I, I don't know if it was the only way or the, whatever they decided, they decided that it needed to go through the house, through, front, through the front door, through the house, through the back door, into the backyard where they were doing the brickwork. And he told me that I was going to be the one to move it. And he said, don't spill any of it. I was nervous. I didn't know if I could do it. That's a lot of weight, 300 pounds. Lifted it up, just very carefully. Didn't spill any. But I was under this load. I persevered. That's what that word is about. It's not doing good, doing what's right is, is work. It's an effort. It's not always easy. We were just talking about this this past Tuesday because we're, we're going through the book, uh, The Screw Tape Letters, and one of the tricks of the devil is we'll take a new Christian and, and there's a moment in every young Christian's life, you know, baby Christian, that moment they realize, oh, this isn't easy. I thought it was going to be sunflowers and, and rainbows. And use an opportunity to, to steal any determination they had to serve the Lord. This persistence or continuance in well-doing or perseverance, whatever word you want to do, it's I'm going to keep doing no matter what. I'm going to do it no matter what. I'm going to do what's right no matter how hard it is, no matter who turns against me. And those earn eternal life. God blesses those. The Bible has lots of examples of those who've been persistent. To Noah... Continuance and well-doing meant building an ark to save his house and preserve life upon the earth, involving years of labor and ridicule of man. I was thinking about this this morning. 
hear Noah preach for over a hundred years. The only people he saved was his family. To Abraham, perseverance meant leaving his country, his relatives, his father's house, become a stranger and a pilgrim on the earth. One thing that surprised me in my studies of, of ancient Ur, where Abraham came from, that city was very well developed for as old ancient as it was. The average home was made of brick and was about 2,000 square feet in size. There was running water in the city. They, it was very well developed. It was a port city, riches coming in. People were very well off and, and had luxury. And he went and took his family and went and spent the rest of his life in a tent. When I first thought about, you know, growing up, you know, as a kid hearing about Abraham and thinking, okay, big, probably used to living in tents, probably what they did. Not him. That wasn't, he didn't grow up doing that. He lived in a very comfortable life. And God called him away from that and he persevered. To Job, persevering meant this God-fearing, evil-rejecting life. And afterwards, in the midst of great affliction, he, what did he do? He bowed before God in dust and ashes and never once said anything bad about God. To Matthew, the publican, perseverance meant rising from his business, his very lucrative business, and following the Lord. To Cornelius, the centurion, perseverance meant this patient life of prayer and generosity and then believing the gospel at Peter's lips. To Lydia, it meant humble and faithful attendance at the place of prayer. To Paul came and her heart was opened to give heed to the gospel of grace spoken by the apostle whence followed her obedience of faith. Perseverance, day in, day out. I'm reminded of a story I, I told not too long ago of a man, I think it was in northern India. God had given him, that didn't know God, knew that there was in fact a true living God, the creator of the universe, didn't know anything about him, wanted to know him better and prayed to this God, asking to know him better. And God gave him a vision saying, two men are going to come. Two white men are going to come. And they're going to stand underneath, uh, which, which tree was it? I can't remember now. A certain kind of tree. And they're going to give you the message about me. 16 years went by. As far as I know, that man didn't get discouraged, didn't give up. Every day he looked at, there the tree was out. He could see the tree from his house. He looked out that window every day for 16 years waiting for this to happen. And finally, two missionaries drove to this village and stopped under that tre a tree, a large tree, because it was hot. And they wanted some shade to cool off. And he looked out his window, and there were two white men sitting underneath this tree. 16 years later, perseverance. Don't give up. 
Don't grow weary in well-doing. The devil's going to try to get you, discourage you. He's going to try to tell you it's too hard to be a Christian. Why do it? Why bother doing it? Here, I just gave you a ton of Bible examples. Decades go by, and God bless that. Verse 8, so God gave eternal life to those who persist in doing good. Uh, verse 8, but wrath and indignation to those who are self-seeking and disobey the truth, but are obeying unrighteousness. They're self-seeking. People who are, are, are not seeking God, they're seeking their own interests. What's in it for me? That's, that's actually one of the things I, I learned in the military. When you're presenting to people an idea or a concept, you always have to give the audience, you know the, you got to know the audience, and you got to know what the, what's in their interest to it. What's the, we would call it, what's in it for me? And so anytime I preach or speak to a new group about something, I would, I would, I would find, identify what their self-interest is in this presentation. Why? Because people naturally are self-seeking. What's in it for me? What do I get out of this? And that's what the, these wicked people who are self-seeking and they, and they reject the truth because it doesn't serve their purposes. It doesn't, help, it doesn't help me at all. And they're obeying unrighteousness instead. And so what, what do they get? Well, they get wrath and indignation. And verse 9 continues on with what they get. Affliction and distress for every human being who, what, does evil. <clears throat> that word does. That Greek word, that comes from, it's not just an easy thing either, like per, you know, perseverance, persistence. It's... it's it's really working at it. Um, another ancient writing in Greek that used that same word, we're talking about silver mining, digging in to get all the silver out of So, so they're, they're working hard to be evil. This is first to the Jew and also to the Greek. We're going to see that a lot. To the Jew first and also the Greek. The outward momentum of God's expectations. The truth came first to the Jews, and so they're going to get the blessing first. They're also going to be the first ones to be held accountable. Then it went out to the rest of the world. Now we're all held accountable. The Bible is full of examples of those who sought their own interest in things. Cain Cain, beginning in the very beginning, was angry and hateful at God's accepting Abel's sacrifice. Uh, Esau, who despised his birthright and hated to the end the people of God. Pharaoh, who, who said to Moses, who is Jehovah? 
that I should hearken unto his voice. Saul, who despised the word of God and sought to destroy his elect king David, Jehoiakim, the apostate king of Judah, who cut up and burned the prophecies of Jeremiah, the scribes and Pharisees in Jesus' time, who rejected John's baptism of repentance and consequently our Lord's loving offer to eternal life for sinners through faith in himself alone. Infidel Sadducees who obeyed not the truth. Instead, they ridiculed it. They made fun of it. Just as modern people do today. You ever notice it seemed like Christianity is the only one religion made fun of on television and movies. There's a reason for that. Everybody else, oh, that's wonderful what you're doing. I respect that. But we're called Jesus freaks. Bible thumpers. Verse 10, but glory and honor and peace for everyone who does what is good, first to the Jew and also to the Greek. Peace. That word peace is a powerful word. It's Peace, reconciliation, no greater peace than being reconciled with God. Everything's okay between me and the Lord. No matter what goes on around me, I can know that I'm okay with God. I tell you, whenever I, if I, when I've sinned in the past and done something wrong, my heart would just break. I would feel terrible and horrible and miserable until I confessed that sin to the Lord and made it right and repented of that. I need that peace. <coughs> There's no peace like it. I love seeing new Christians give their heart to Jesus, confess and forsake their sin, and, and they're just the, the tears are streaming down their face, and their faces are just glowing. Why? Because of that peace. They feel, they know God has forgiven them. It's wonderful. I love that to experience that. God gives peace to those who do good. Verse 11, there's, Paul made it a point to say that there's no favoritism with God. At that time, there was this attitude that God was only going to save the Jewish people. And so he's driving home this point, and we'll see this continued as a running theme throughout Romans, that God intended to save us all. Thank the Lord for that. Verse 12, 
All those who sin without the law will also perish without the law, and all those who sin under the law will be judged by the law. So the law, we're talking about the law given by Moses. So he's making this argument. God is going to hold accountable both those who knew about the law and those who didn't. Well, why is that? How is that? Verse 13, for the hearers of the law are not, are not righteous before God. So just because you know the law doesn't mean you're safe. Why? You have to be doers of the law will be declared righteous. Verse 14, so when Gentiles who don't have the law, instinctively do what the law demands. They are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts. Their consciences confirm that. God has written His law on our hearts. And I, I believe I have strong evidence for that. I have some very early memories. Very early. I remember the apartment my parents lived in when I was two years old. I haven't, they didn't take pictures of it. I've never seen a picture of it. But I can tell them the layout of the apartment. And they confirmed, yes, that's exactly what it looked like. I know, I remember that we didn't have a phone in the apartment. And my mom, but there was a payphone nearby outside somewhere. And one day my mom went to go use the payphone and decided to leave me in the apartment. And, and, and looked at me and said, now I'm going to go use the phone real quick. Do not lock the door. Evidently, I had already figured that out. Do not lock the door. Now, she went out. And I knew... The people next door had kids too. And they had this little toy box outside their door. And there was a motorcycle that I really liked. Even at that age, I liked motorcycles. And I knew it was an opportunity for me to steal that motorcycle. So I looked at the door, didn't see mom. And so I ran over, grabbed the toy, the neighbor's had their door open, but the screen door was closed. And they said, hey, get out of there. And I grabbed my motorcycle and I ran back into the apartment. I locked the door and I went to my room and I hid the toy in my toy box and ran back into the living room. And soon after, my mom is trying to get in the door and she's not banging on the door, let me in. And I unlocked the door. And, of course, she knew it for the neighbor told her, I'm sure. Or she watched it, probably watched it take place. And she went immediately to my room and got the toy I stole. And I'm sure, I don't remember this, but I'm sure she made me go take it back and apologize. But here's what's interesting. I knew what I was doing was wrong. I did not know the word stealing. When would I have learned that? I was two years old. But I knew 
I was hiding. I had sinned and I was hiding it. Why? Because God had written His Word on my heart. My consciences can confirm this. Now, your conscience, the Bible also talks about how it can be seared. So if you ignore your conscience, if you do something bad and you feel bad about it, if you keep ignoring what your conscience is trying to tell you, your conscience will eventually shut up and you'll stop feeling bad about it. It's searing your conscience. Be careful of that. If you read in the Bible that it tells you something that you're doing is wrong and you go, well, I don't feel like that's wrong, don't go by that. Go by God's word. Ask God to heal your conscience. Their conscience confirm this. Their competing thoughts will either excuse, accuse or excuse them. In verse 16, on the day when God judges what people have kept secret according to my gospel through Jesus Christ. Their thoughts are going to accuse them or excuse them when? When God judges them on the day of judgment. All things have kept secret. The moral, remember we're talking about the moralist. Those who check all the boxes, they're secrets. If they're not following Christ, they have secrets. They're secret sins. And God is going to reveal those. We're guilty. Whether you're an outright pagan who's involved in all kinds of immorality and debauchery or you're this prim and proper ethical person, if you have repented and conf confessed and repented of your sins and, and relied on Jesus Christ and believed in Him, you're guilty. Lord, help us. May the Holy Spirit search our hearts. I pray this a lot. May the Holy Spirit search my heart and help me identify any sin so I may confess it and forsake it. We need the Lord's help with that. We're terrible at analyzing ourselves. Terrible at it. We need God's help. Let's stand. Well, that's all for today. We certainly hope it was a blessing to you. If you'd like to reach out to us, you can email us at servantsheartchapel at gmail.com. If you'd like to learn more about our church, you can go to servantsheartchapel.org. Have a wonderful day.